We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 tonight, if you want to open your Bibles there. Galatians chapter 3. As, as you're making your way there, I guess by way of introduction, um, <laughs> so a story uh, about a guy named Mark and his girlfriend, Julie. Mark and Julie were living in the same apartment, and Mark's mom wasn't happy about it, and, uh, and so she's given him the third degree, as only a mom can, you know, she wants to know, uh, look, Mark, um, I don't want, I don't want nothing, sh- no funny business going on here, what, you know, I don't, I'm not happy that, that, that your girlfriend's living in the same place as you. And Mark assured her, he said, Mom, look, she's got her own bedroom, and this is, you know, this is just circumstantial, and it's, it's just temporary, but she has her own bedroom. Mom, it's, you know, everything's on the up and up here. And so, you know, Mom, Mom's not exactly thrilled, but she's, she's over at their house, and they've made dinner, and she's watching them interact together, and, and she's got her doubts, you know, I'll just put it that way, so... As Julie has gone to all this elaborate trouble to make this nice dinner for them, she, mom notices this gravy ladle that she's got, and she's fascinated by this gravy ladle. She, she says, this is amazing. It's got its own little stand there. It stands up, and it's stainless steel, and it's beautiful. And, and so, you know, the, Mark's mom just going on and on about the gravy ladle. Well, so the visit ends, and dinner ends. She, mom, goes home, leaves, and and a couple of weeks goes by, and Julie comes up to Mark. She says, listen, I don't know what happened, but I cannot find that gravy ladle anywhere. And, uh, and she says, you don't think your mom stole it, do you? And Mark says, well, I, no, I, my mom wouldn't steal a gravy ladle. And she says, yeah, but it's, it's gone. And the last time it was here was when your mom was here going on and on and on about this gravy ladle. So Mark says, Look, I'll send her a text. So he sends his mom a text. He says, look, mom, um, I'm not saying that you stole the gravy ladle, but the fact remains that, you know, we haven't been able to find it for the last two weeks since you left. So mom sends his mark back this text message. She says, look, I'm not saying that you're sleeping with Julie, but the fact remains that if Julie was sleeping in her own bed, you'd have found the gravy ladle two weeks ago. Bible says your sin will find you out. Uh, Jesus says there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed or kept secret that will not be made known. Now that's the bad news. The good news is we can be forgiven of our sin. The Bible says if we confess our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that word confess, literally, it means to say the same thing. It means to agree. And that means a couple of different things here in regards to our sin. First of all, it means that, that when we agree, when we say the same thing, it means that we call sin what God calls sin. We don't make excuses for our sin. Confessing our sins means, hey, God calls this sin. I need to call it sin as well. Not give it some cutesy name. Not you know, give it some medical diagnosis. Or, hey, I can't help myself because of this. Or, I'm the exception to the rule because of that. No, we call sin what God calls sin. No excuses. But it also means this. And this is very important for where we're going tonight. <coughs> Confessing our sins also means that, hey, we say the same thing and we agree with God about what it is that cleanses our sin. 
if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So our part of our confession, agreeing with God, saying the same thing, is that, listen, we need to agree with what it is that cleanses our sins. And what it is that cleanses our sins is the fundamental meaning, the fundamental get of Good Friday. Paul told the Philippians this. He said, Jesus Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Well, answering this question, what cleanses us uh, from sin, not only is it the fundamental meaning of Good Friday, but it's the fundamental problem that's plaguing the Galatians here in Galatians chapter 3. You see, the Galatians struggled with the same questions that have been plaguing man throughout the ages. Who is God? What's our standing with him? How are we made right with God? How do we prepare ourselves to meet God? And because the Galatians had some bad teaching, well, they answered those questions wrong. See, the Galatians, they, they, they thought, well, hey, we're made righteous by Jesus Christ and by our performance. They said, hey, it's Jesus and it's our works, it's our performance, it's what we do. Now, you can always recognize cults, you can always recognize false religions, because inevitably what they do is they try to add something to the gospel. It's Jesus and something else. It's Jesus and good works. It's Jesus and the Book of Mormon. It's Jesus and the works of the law. It's Jesus and circumcision. It's Jesus and good works. Jesus and keeping traditions. Jesus and the rosary or whatever it is. And, And anytime it's Jesus and something else, Listen, you've got a major, major, major problem. And Paul, more than anybody else, understood this. Paul understood that, listen, that this idea of pride and arrogance in adding to the gospel, that it's got to be Jesus plus something or other, something of one of my works added to this, Paul understood that that's a profound problem. Because God delivered him from that. He was a Pharisee. He was a guy who was a rule keeper and, you know, wanted to make sure that if anybody else wasn't keeping the rules, he was going to put them to death. He was going to kill them. He had letters from the church leaders to go put to death people that were worshiping Jesus. Why? Well, because they had the audacity to say that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Paul, Mr. Rulekeeper, was so intent on that until God hijacked his little trip to Damascus and brought him face to face with, face with Jesus Christ who said, listen, you're persecuting me and opened his eyes. And so Paul, he's talking to the Corinthians and he tells them this. He says, look, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. I'm not going to add anything to what Jesus has done. And so when Paul sees the Galatian churches starting to twist, and Paul was the guy that planted the churches in Galatia, so when he sees them starting to twist and go sideways, 
He's like, look, this is not what I taught you. So he writes this letter. Here's what he says to them. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Now, he's already been talking to them here. He's well into it, you know. But, you know, it takes Paul a couple of chapters to clear his throat. Here he is, chapter 3. He says, he gets to the point of the matter. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by, <clears throat> or by uh, the hearing of faith? Hey, did God pour out His Spirit because He found you to be this incredibly brilliant person who dotted every spiritual I and crossed every spiritual T? And so God looked around the earth and He says, Oh, look how holy that person is. Is that how God gave you His Holy Spirit? Paul rhetorically asked. He says, No, He didn't give you His Spirit that way. It was by the hearing of faith. You heard the gospel proclaimed, you believed it, and that was what caused God in His grace to pour out his spirit. Verse 3, he says, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul's saying, look, when you started out, you started out trusting in Jesus, and now it's turned into a work of the flesh. Now it's Jesus plus something else. And so he just comes out the gate here, oh, foolish Galatians. I love the way John Phillips translates that portion of the sentence, oh, you foolish, uh, oh, foolish Galatians. Here's how John Phillips translates that. He says, oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. <laughs> you dear idiots. Now, the, the Greek word foolish here, it conveys the idea, listen, that the person can think, but they're, they're failing to use their power of perception. The idea here is a, look, you ought to know better. That's what Paul is saying. You fools, you ought to know better than this. And you do know better than this. What, what is going on? Now, how did they know better than this? He tells them there at the end of verse 1, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. He was clearly portrayed, Paul says. Now, he, Paul doesn't mean that they literally saw the crucifixion of Jesus Christ because they didn't... They didn't see the literal crucifixion of Jesus Christ. When he says, hey, Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified, what Paul is saying, he says, look, the truth of Jesus, the truth of his crucifixion, and the greatness of his work for us, hey, this was laid out for you so clearly that you couldn't possibly have missed it. This was laid out for you from day one, and it was so clear, man, you, you, you couldn't help but see it. The, the idea behind this phrase, clearly portrayed, it's something like, hey, this was billboarded for you. This was like a giant neon billboard from day one that you would have seen. I grew up in the South Bay down in Torrance, and the Goodyear Blimp has its, its headquarters right there in Gardena, one of, their, one of their, their airstrips. And so when I was a kid, man, the Goodyear Blimp used to fly over our house all the time. And, and on the side of this blimp, on both sides, they had a, a big, long neon sign. And, and the, the ads would run across this, and you would read the ads as they came running across the blimp. And you would hear the blimp when it was coming. You'd run outside. Sometimes it would fly really low over the house. It was so dramatic, so exciting, you know, as a kid watching this huge thing flying over your house, maybe just, you know, 
few hundred feet, it seemed to us, like over the house, you know. And then it was always, you know, it was a race to see who was going to read the ad and figure out the ad first, like what it was. Now, that was literally a giant neon billboard that would fly all over the South Bay, and everybody would see this. And this is what Paul is saying. Paul's saying it's like that. He's saying, look, Jesus Christ crucified was, was billboarded throughout your entire life. You, you, you know, you, 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 you couldn't help but see Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. I plastered it all over your Facebook, all over your Twitter, all over your Instagram, man. Like, it, you know, I sent you group texts. You're like, good grief. Like, you know, I'm on this group text that just keeps coming. I mean, it's just, you, you blew up all of my, my feeds, man. This is what Paul is saying. He's like, man, I'm just, I'm a Facebook stalker just telling I'm, you know, billboarding what Jesus Christ has done for you. You guys, you know better than this. See, Paul's preaching was like setting posters up all over town. If you saw anything, you saw Jesus and you saw what Jesus did, that he became, he knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That it's not your righteousness, it's not your good works, it's Jesus' good work on the cross. John Calvin said this, he said, Let those who want to share the gospel learn to communicate the message in such a way that men may see Christ crucified and that his blood may flow. When the church has, has such painters as these, she no longer needs dead images, she no longer requires any pictures. In other words, what he's saying and what Paul here is saying to the Galatians is that it's imperative that we see what Jesus has endured to save us. We have to see that. We have to get it. We have to understand it. Now, let's talk about the crucifixion for a minute. The passion of the Christ got it right. For starters, before Jesus ever went to the cross, before he ever went to the cross, he was blindfolded, he was mocked, and he was beaten. And he was beaten by those Roman guards so severely that his face, the Bible tells us, was absolutely unrecognizable. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet says by the inspiration of God. This is an Old Testament prophet looking forward to a New Testament event but this is speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who lives outside of time, who knows the end from the beginning and can write about it in the past tense because for God, it is the past tense, it's the future tense, it's the present tense all at once. And so Isaiah the prophet, he writes about what Jesus experienced by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says, but many were amazed when they saw him, speaking of Jesus, his face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human, and from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. That's how badly Jesus was beaten, and this is before he ever picked up the cross. And he was beaten because we are sinners by nature and by choice. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to get the beatdown that we deserved. Now, having been beaten in this way, hey, cross is coming, but it hasn't even come yet. What's next? Jesus endured 39 lashes. He was scourged with a leather whip that was spiked with metal and bone and heavy lead, lead weights in it. 
Now, physiologically, there was, it was, it was a, a, a implement of torture, and it was created to do several things. Every lash was, in fact, two lashes. Because the first lash would be when that heavy weighted down strap lashed your back. The weights would cause swelling of the tissues. They would cause capillaries under the skin to rupture and so on. And then there were hooks and barbs and shreds of glass and so on. And they were then designed in that lashing, in that initial impact, not just to welt the skin, but to embed into the skin. And then when you would pull that lash, that whip, still part of that first lash, then pulling it across, it would then remove... Skin, and that was one lash. 39 times Jesus endured this. And often what would happen is this would expose muscle and it would expose tendons and it would expose sometimes even organs. It would expose ribs. It would expose the lungs. It could cause a punctured lung, a pneumothorax. And this is just from the lashing. Jesus hasn't even touched the cross yet. Well, then Jesus took that cross. He carried his cross. He was stripped naked. The pain and the humiliation of that. He was crucified. The nails through his hands, through his feet. Those nails through his hands, they pierced the ulnar nerve in the, in the wrist. If you've ever hit your elbow and that burning that comes right up into your palm, that's your ulnar nerve. This pierced in, in the crucifixion. Now, The way crucifixion works is that it causes you to suffocate. And the way it does is that it stretches out the diaphragm. And so in order to take a breath, you have to pull up with with your arms and push down with your feet. Well, you have those nails now, so every time you want to take a breath, it's like you hit your elbow and the fire every single time you want to take a breath. And this gives some powerful meaning to the things we hear, the accounts of what Jesus would speak from the cross. How he would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In order for you to speak, you need to have air that you take into your lungs so that you can expel it through your trachea so that it runs across your vocal cords so that they can vibrate and make the sounds and articulate the words that that we will say. And in order for Jesus to have that air, he would have to pull on those nails to be able to do that. Why? Because you and I are sinners by nature and by choice. and Because we deserve such scourging. We deserve such a death, such a torturous death. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. He took the penalty that we deserve. Now, the Persians, they invented crucifixion, but the Romans perfected it. And so the, for the Persians, hey, people would just die too quickly. And so the Romans said, no, 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 people are dying too quickly. We're going to add a seat to this thing. And so then that turned what would have been dying in hours into dying over a course of days. And so it would take people that long that they would get enough of a respite that they would you know, be able to, to, to sit on this seat. And, uh, and so some guys... We're talking days. We're, we're, you know, people would, you know, wild animals would come in, you know, before a person had expired, start seeing a meal and working on a meal right there. It was, it was just an absolute excruciating way to die. And that's where we get the word excruciating. It means from the cross. That's the, the definition of the word excruciating, out of the cross. 
The very definition of pain comes from the cross. And on top of all of this, the Bible tells us that Jesus was mocked and he was spat upon as he endured it. Again, Isaiah the prophet said this, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Why? Because we're sinners by nature and choice. And God loves us. And that's what the Bible says, that he did this all for you and me when we least it deserved it. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, incredibly, the Galatians forgot this. The Galatians, man, they completely forgot. Not only did they forget what Jesus did for them on the cross, but listen, what they believed was that their own works could somehow add something to what Jesus had already done for them. They believed (coughs) that it was Jesus and whatever it is that they would do to earn right standing with God. And and, and here's what what I want for us to get tonight. What I want for us to get, we hear the things that Jesus endured. He endured these things. That's real. He was tortured and he was killed and his death was indescribably brutal. And we are at fault. The whole, you know, turmoil that happened when the passion of the Christ came out and the controversy of, you know, who's responsible for the death of Jesus and does this movie, does it ascribe, does it affix blame on the Jews? Is this something that is blaming the Jews for Jesus' death? Is this blaming the Roman government for Jesus' death? And one of the producers of the movie said, listen, nobody, nobody gets out unscathed in this. You want to know who, who's, who's, whose fault it was that Jesus died? Look in the mirror. It is our, the blood is on our hands, what what happened to Jesus Christ. He died because we are sinners by nature and by choice. What I don't want us to do is to take that, the guilt and the shame of that, and walk out of these doors and have Good Friday become for us this thing to where we say, I am such a horrible person, and God, what can I I ever do to, to make this up to you, God? What can, God, what is it that I can do to atone for this guilt that I feel because Jesus went to the cross? It's been said, even if you were the only one who's ever lived, Jesus still would have had to die on the cross because you're a sinner by nature and by choice. What I don't want for us to do is to to have that attitude. Why? Because then we become just like the Galatians. Then it becomes Jesus and something else. Then that puts us in a place to where, hey, Jesus' death on the cross well, it should just elicit from me as a follower of Christ just great sorrow and great remorse and, you know, now I got to, what can I do? No, no, no. Here's the message of the cross. The message of the cross is that there is a God in heaven who loves you so much that he would send Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. That's the message of the cross. The message of the cross is, yes, what Jesus endured, it was brutal, and it was awful, and it was ugly, and it was our fault. 
But thank you, God, that even at our worst, at our lowest, as Zach said, God loves us. Listen, today, we, we can be like these Galatians. What was it that, that, that Paul was telling these Galatians? How did they get into this state? He, he says there in verse 1, you're fools who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. Now, that word bewitched, the idea is that they were under a spell. Not literally, but figuratively. See, understand this. Their thinking was so clouded and so unbiblical that, that it seemed like they were under a spell. William Barclay translates this, this word bewitched as this way. He says, to put the evil eye on. And what happened here was that the ancient Greeks, they thought that a spell could be cast on somebody by giving them the evil eye. And what would happen then is, just as a serpent sometimes can hypnotize its prey with its eyes, they, the, the Greeks thought that, that what could happen is that somebody could influence you, they could put the evil eye on you, and that you could be influenced in that way. Think of Aladdin. You ever seen the movie Aladdin? Jafar with his little thing, and he puts the evil, and all of a sudden, the sultan just gets fixated on this. That was the idea. That's what the Greeks thought. Is that, is that you could get tripped up that way. And the, over way, the only way to overcome the evil eye was to stop looking at it. Stop looking at the evil eye. And metaphorically, that's what Paul says here. He says, look, your thinking is so clouded and, and so unbiblical. Listen, it seems like you're under a spell. You need to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Who's bewitched you to get you to the place to where it's about, you know, doing good and trying harder and being Jesus and something else? No, you got to take your eyes off of whatever it is that's bewitched you. You have to put your eyes on Jesus. I think of Peter in, in the, the boat when, you know, the, the, it's, the storm's going crazy. And all of a sudden there's Jesus walking on the water and, and they're like, is that you? Jesus, is that you? And Peter goes, look, if it's you, let me, you know, bid that I come to you. And Jesus is like, come on up, Pete. And Peter's walking on the water. And then all of a sudden, what's he do? It says that, that the wind and the waves are going nuts. And he looks at, you know, the effects of the wind and the waves and all. The moment he takes his eyes off, Jesus starts to sing. The moment he takes his eyes off the Lord, there's Peter. He's sinking. Here's the, 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 the point for us. Man, we got to say on Good Friday, look, is there anything that's bewitching me? Is there anything that's going on in my life to where I get away from the meaning and the purpose and the point of Good Friday, which is to say, I am so loved by God in heaven that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins in my place. And I am not going to presume to add one single thing to what Jesus did to atone for my sin. No, rather what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm just going to look intently upon Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before Jesus was you. It was redeeming you. It was making a way for you to be made right with the God of heaven, the God who you have sinned against, who I have sinned against. So is there anything that bewitches us? Second question we got to ask ourselves, we got to take a walk with today. Is there anything interfering with my view of Jesus? Is there any, anything interfering with your view of Jesus? 
Is there anything that's crept into your life to where, man, you're, you've, you've become bewitched by something else? Listen, this is, this is what we need to do this Good Friday is we need this reminder, we need this remembrance that we are so loved by God in heaven that he's given Christ for us and that Jesus is the one who has paid the penalty for our sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And that brutal death on the cross proves that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if we'll make that confession with our mouth, that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved, the Bible promises. And so I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up and we're gonna worship the Lord. And we're gonna worship the Lord because he is good and he's merciful and he loves us so much that he sent Christ to die for us. People say, hey, how can a loving God send people to hell? No, God doesn't, doesn't send people to hell. He sent his son to die so we didn't have to go to hell. But if you reject the great sacrifice that has been made for you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then, then there's nothing else that God can do for you. He's going to honor your choice. But listen, as the worship team comes up here and as we pray, listen, we're in one of three places today. We are either in the place to where we need to cry out to God and we need to say, Lord, I need to be saved. I, need, I don't want to suffer death, that a penalty that has already been paid. I, Lord, I need forgiveness of my sins. I believe that you're the Christ. I believe that you're the son of the living God. I need to ask you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Maybe we're in that category tonight. Maybe the category we're in tonight is, man, you know, I... <laughs> I have asked Christ to be my Lord and Savior, but I've been bewitched. There's something, that's some, some sort of thing that's come into my life to where, like the Galatians now, it's Jesus and something else. Maybe I've gotten into this religious trap, this religious routine, to where it's, it's you know, I'm on, a, I'm on a religious treadmill and I gotta do good, I gotta try harder, and I've, and I've bought into the lie of the enemy, which says, hey, if you want God to be, you know, good with you, you're gonna have to, you know, do a little bit more good works. You're gonna have to do a little bit more more, you know, for, you know, whatever religious work it is, and you are on this religious treadmill, hey man, you need to be set free from that. You got to understand Good Friday is a picture of, of God loves us and has paid the penalty for us. And he says to us, man, all you got to do is believe. All you got to do is receive. All you got to do is, is confess that you're a sinner by nature and by choice. Now, yes, there is work of, of walking in obedience to God, but listen, that, that, God catches his fish first, man, before he cleans them up, you know? And, and, and so, so, so it's, it's just a matter of going, man, I'm gonna get off the religious treadmill here. Or maybe you're in the, the, the category, that third, that final category, which is this. Maybe the category that you're in is, man, I'm on the, I'm on the mountaintop with you, God. Lord, thank you. It's, you've been good to me. You've, you've, been, you've, been, you've been so gracious to me. And, and, and I am in this Good Friday just rejoicing how good you are. This message has been nothing but affirming and, and a reminder of how good you are. Listen, we're in one of those three places tonight. 